presence. I want to thank you for our position. You have done everything and all we do is give you glory. Lord, I just pray that your presence will just rest on us. Lord, I pray your healing will just flow in this room. Whatever is needed, Lord, let there be healing in this place. This is your house and you are the source of everything that we need. Lord, if we need courage, give us courage. If we need strength, give us strength. If we need forgiveness, Lord, give us forgiveness. Let us be obedient and forgive, Father. Let us just see the glory of Jesus shine in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Whoops. I'm a, I'm a bit loud, so I probably should warn the sound, guys. I love coming to the bay. I love riding my motorbike down the Clyde. Um, but I knew it was going to be 32 degrees today, so riding home in leather it was just not going to happen. So I jumped in my car and I drove down. And uh, I've got to say, where it's almost got to the point there's no roadworks between here and Canberra. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Is that a thing? Is that ever been? Is there anyone who's lived here has ever not seen roadworks between here and Canberra? Like ever, ever, ever? Really? Far out. Was that when, like, bef- I won't go root. I, was, I nearly said that, and I went, actually, I saw the line before I crossed it. Ray and Margaret knew me from when I was very little, and uh, they were, they've seen me cross the line many times and then seen it behind me. I've started to get a lot better of seeing it before I actually cross it. So if you have problems in that area, Jesus can help you. Jesus can help you. I love coming down here because, you know, even in worship, I can tell you guys love Jesus, you know, because that to me is the most important thing. You know, as as somebody that's a a pastor in apostolic churches, you know, wherever you go, my business is church. I don't know if you know that that's how pastors think, but we're always thinking about church, about how to, look, this place could do with a church and here's how we could build this church and gee, that church could do with a few things. And and we're always thinking of those kind of things. And, And the one thing that that's really irked me about the church, I guess, of, of today is that it can actually become about church and not about Jesus. And I think that's, that's the thing that we've got to start doing in, 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 in our hearts is to make sure that it's actually Jesus is number one. And when I mean number one, I mean really just number one. I mean, it's, it's just all about him. There is actually nothing else. Because if he's the builder of the church and if he's making all of these things happen, then if we just do what Jesus did, then we'll be sweet. We will see our cities and our towns and, and our countryside changed for the name of Jesus. There's this song, um, a band called uh, Hawk Nelson. They're American mob. And uh, they do albums and stuff. Their new one's coming out soon. But they have a song, and it's called Live Like You're Loved. And if we really know that we're loved by God, like if we really, really, really know it, like that's, that's our 100%, that's the position that we live from, our Christianity looks completely different. It looks completely different. I think, and, and being someone who's, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, in, my schooling was always in Catholic school. 
So my first school was a little school in Yarralumla in Canberra called St. Peter Chanel's, and it was probably one of the last schools run by nuns. And uh, so, you know, I had the scary nuns and all those kind of things, Sister Frances Mary. I think she had five canes one day, and she went through the first three on my mate, Paul Coyle, and then uh, he broke, she broke the last two on me, and I still had two more smacks to go. And because she ran out of feather dusters, that was it for the day. I was like, yes, this is awesome. You know, I was like, just, yeah, keep buying those plastic ones, lady, because the cane ones, they take longer to break. Um, and, then I, and then from there, I went to Marist, and, and I was there until halfway through year 11, and then Jesus set me free and sent me to Wollongong, which was uh, awesome, going to public school with normal people, not surrounded by mental boys, 24-7 boys' schools, oh, all boys' schools, a bit scary. But my point is that Christianity, when I was at school, was about if you do well, you'll be rewarded. But if you don't do well, then you won't be rewarded. And then Christianity can look like, well, if you do well, God will love you. And when you do well, he won't love you. And so suddenly what happens in our faith, what happens is culture is stronger than the word. And then everybody starts feeling guilty about going to church. Because when they go, they're, talked about, they're told about sin and sin's this big, horrible thing. The point is it is big and it is horrible and it is more than what we could deal with ever. And we have no solution. So Jesus set us free. Full stop. End of story. No more sin in our lives once we've accepted Jesus. Who's ever heard of circumcision? It's a thing. I won't go into it. Ask your mum and dad if you don't understand. But I'll give you a little picture. Because in the Old Testament, sin was symbol, sim, symbology of, of something being removed from the body. And it was, it, was a, it was about a purity thing. Do you know, and most Christians don't know this, but when we have circumcision of the heart, do you know what that means? It means our sin nature is cut off. You don't have a sin nature in Christ anymore. See, as Christians, we've heard this phrase, sinners saved by grace. And before we were saved, we were a sinner. But after Jesus has set us free and he has circumcised our heart, he has cut away the sin nature. Do you know what the Bible calls the church after that? Saints. It even says in the word that we share in his divine nature. So Jesus has made us just like him. And so when we live our Christianity and our faith from a point of, I'm not a sinner anymore. My position doesn't change. My, 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 my relationship with God is no longer defined about how well I navigate right and wrong. I'm just forgiven. And I live in this place of forgiveness, which means I'm, I'm not a sinner anymore. The word says, don't lend the members of your hand to do the work of the devil. He's always wanting you to give up what Jesus has given you. He always wants you to think you're no good. He always wants to think you're hopeless. He always wants you to think that sin's got a control, that you're fighting this inner thing. I don't know how many times I've heard preachers say that as Christians, we're broken vessels. That is a lie of the devil. Nowhere after salvation are we called sinners nowhere in the bible after salvation is there any affinity between light and darkness we are all light and in him there is no darkness 
This is not yin and yang where you've got this big white little tadpole with a little bit of evil and this big tadpole of blackness with a little bit of good. And the philosophy of the world is, well, in every good thing, there's a little bit of evil. And in every bit of evil, well, there's got to be something good in there. Lie. My Bible says that he is light and in him there is no darkness. That is absolute. So you have no darkness in you. If you realize that you have no sin in you, then you know what the biggest revelation of your day is today? That when sin tempts you, it's not on the inside, it's on the outside. And so it's easy to resist because we suddenly realize what's going on. If we've been taught as Christians about our sin and about our sin nature and that we're struggling and that we're broken and we have to somehow work to become like Jesus, that's the law of the Old Testament. It means that Jesus dying for you has absolutely done nothing for your condition in life. Even though you've been set free, you are willingly living as a slave, even though you don't have to. That's what the Bible says. But when we realize that we have his nature, we have the spirit of God living in us, when we realize that you know, what we gained in Jesus was far more than what we lost in Adam. See, what we lost in Adam was we were made in God's image. We are compatible with God. That's what it means. And so in the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve walked with the Lord. That's pretty cool. But where was God in this, in this situation? On the outside. And their whole, and they had oneness with God. And then the devil comes to Adam and Eve, and he 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 uses language to say, you know what, you you could you could have you you've got oneness with God, but you know what, you could be just like God. Now, when I hear that, I think that that's an upgrade. It's like I could be just like God. This sounds better than what I have. How many of us have ever thought about things being better than what we have and, and then found out later it wasn't? And so they, they translated oneness with God for the knowledge of good and evil. And their oneness with God suddenly turned into the ability to navigate right and wrong. So tragic. But then Jesus comes along and he's called the second Adam. And it also says in the Bible what we gain through Christ is far better than what we lost in Adam. In other words, God knew it was going to happen. And yes, it was going to be an upgrade. So we went from navigating right and wrong and oh my gosh, and the position of sin and having sin and being in sin and not being able to be free to suddenly Jesus freeing us and separating us from sin. He says, if you believe that I raised and went to heaven, then my father and I will come and live in you. Where's God now? On the inside, compatible. It's where God wanted to be from the beginning, but it had to be our choice to be not only one with God, but to be in his family, not just created beings, but his sons and daughters, because that's who he wanted us to be, our position. So we have the Father and the Son living in us and the Spirit of God dwelling upon us, in us. So we have the Trinity of creation living within us. You know, in the Old Testament, when God touched anything, it became holy because he touched it. So what does that make us? Hello! Without sin, 
holy, all in the light. You know what? When we feel this way, we live this way. When we feel unworthy, when we feel broken by sin, when we feel like our relationship with our Father is about what we have to do, let me ask you a question. What convincing did you have to do to your parents to make you? None. It's fair to say you had nothing to do with the night your parents hooked up. Nothing at all. Unless they went, you know what, I think it's time to have kids. And you go, yeah, and then it happens even more happy. Or more often happy. Often happy, 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 often, often. Until you actually have that child that you've decided to have. But my point is this. Why do we think it's up to us about how our father feels about us? You know, when I got a revelation about how much my father loved me, my firstborn, she's stubborn like her dad, and she can be reclusive like her dad, and she can be right out there wild like her dad. And uh, she'd been doing a whole bunch of chaotic things and not kind of flowing in the way that we would like her. And I sat on the end of her bed because she'd been copping it constantly. Like, Ashley, why aren't you doing this? And, you know, and I could see that she was actually starting to get down on life. So I went and sat on her bed, and I said, kiddo, I said... You've been going through you've been going through the rigor lately. Like it's almost like you can't get anything right. And she was just sitting there just going, yeah, whatever, old man. And I'm sitting on the end of the bed and I said, I just want to let you know that I love you. I love you to death. I will always love you. In fact, I want you to know that you, nothing you do will affect how much I love you. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. If you do the wrong thing, if you kill someone, if you go to prison, if you can think I'm something even worse, I will still love you, love you, love you, because that's my job, because you're my, I'm your dad, you're my kid, you're my DNA, you are of me, and that's my job. I said, but you can make me proud, and you can make me disappointed. I said, but my love for you is never questionable. You know, that kid changed that day. She changed. She suddenly realized, you know what, I might not get things right. And mum and dad might constantly remind me. So we backed off a little because we were reminding our, we were reminded that our reminding was a little too constant for one little heart. Um, but, but she just realized that my love is not dependent upon her. That's what our father in heaven is like for us. He's nuts for us. He crossed the universe. He laid down being God to get to us. And so the kingdom that is within us and the love and the freedom and the forgiveness and the prosperity and all of the promises of God, not only does he call us his children, but Jesus said, I give you what? I give you all authority. Greater things will you do. He's given us purpose. He's included us in the family business. And we go from having to do well and be blessed, like the world says, Become a very good businessman and one day you will be able to buy a Ferrari and then everyone will like you. I mean, that's the way the world works and it creeps into the church. How much our Father loves you is not dependent upon what you do. But what happens is, is when we realize how much we're loved, we just want to do stuff for him. So we respond to him out of love not to receive love. And you know what? It can be so subtle when our church life is about doing things to feel valued and doing things to feel accepted. 
It's possible for pastors when they retire to get to the point where they suddenly wonder who they are because even when we're serving people and we're around people and we see so much purpose, we, you can almost, it's easy to do well when you're serving in church. You know, sometimes in work, we don't see that. We don't get rewarded. We don't get told good job. We don't get told all of those things. And, and we can almost get our identity from what we do. Oh, we become redundant. Oh, well, then who am I now? You know what? You're a son and you're a daughter of God. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be a plumber today. You could work in the library today. You could mow lawns today. You could be a surf teacher. Isn't that the best job in the world? You could be paid to do something you really love. And you are still his son and daughter. And nothing changes. The word is so full of love for us. I've been reading this version of the Bible called the Mirror Bible. And he's, he's, he's a, it's, a modern, it's a modern version. It's not a full Bible. It's just most of the letters of the Bible. And, and the way I've been... I heard C.S. Lewis, he, he had this quote. He goes, if you want to see the church, you've got to read the letters. I thought, what do you mean by that? And, 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 and I was thinking about it even as I was driving here. If you want to see how Christians minister to religious people, watch Jesus in the Gospels. Because he's not under the law anymore. I don't know if you, if you know theologically. I, I, this only dawned on me in the last year or two. But at Jesus' baptism, he fulfilled the law. And then it was after that he took disciples and said, follow me. Because I'm not going to teach you how to follow the law. I did it for you. I completed it. When he goes to John the Baptist, he says, you've got to baptize me. And John says, no way. And he goes, this must happen so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. What he's talking about is the law being fulfilled. It's the same phraseology as when Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished. So he finished with the law and then he ministered to those who are under religion. So if we want to see how to minister to people who are stuck in religion, look at Jesus. If you want to see who the church is, read the letters. I was always wondering about this, and I always wondered about Paul. He's this amazing Pharisee. He, he, was, he was like, in the Hebrew culture, who your mentors are are a big deal. If I said my mentor was Brian Houston, you would all know that, wouldn't you? You'd all like who that guy is. Or Phil Pringle, or or somebody from America who's famous, um, we would all look at that and go, wow, that's really important. You must be really important. And, and in the Jewish culture, it was, it was so prominent to copy your, fa- your, your rabbi that you would drink tea like them, you would sit the way they do, you would treat people, you, and they would even walk like that person did. And so they could see everything about you and they could tell who your rabbi was. It was that important in their culture. They go, he was a son of this guy. He was a son of that guy. So Paul, he's a rabbi of Gamaliel, which is this, he was like the guru. He's like the Brian Houston of his day. And God didn't use him to reach religious people. I don't understand. I I never understood why, why Paul, who is a Pharisee of uber, uber religiousness, wasn't sent to the to the Jews to teach them to stop being Jewish with their rules and their regulations, and you've got to do this to please God, and you've got to do that to please God. God smashed him and stripped religion off him. And the more I've tried to understand Paul and, and his heart, it was, it, was, it, was, it was really tragic what happened to Paul. Think of this. He's a religious man killing a cult called the followers of the way. 
And wherever he went, he saw that these people were an abomination to the God that he loved and served. So wherever he went, he would drag them out of their homes and upon his authority, the communities would stone them. And then while he's on his way, serving God to the best of his capacity, raised with a lifestyle of religion and rules and the way it should be done. And then Jesus knocks him to the ground as he's traveling and says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul goes, Lord, let me tell you, when a religious man sees God, they know who he's talking to. God, what are you talking about? Jesus goes, I'm Jesus. Imagine how the religious man feels, who feels like he's serving God, and then actually found out that he was murdering his newborn children. That's why Paul is so humble. His religion, his identity, everything secure that he knew about how to please God and how to love God, how to be holy, everything was taken from him. He's now in three days of blindness. And you've got to realize after three days of blindness, three is a big number for Jews. After three, that's it. It's permanent. That's why they freaked out when Lazarus got raised from the dead after being dead for three days. On the third day, that's it, it's permanent. The the soul can't be restored to the body. That's why they've already started crying. That's why they're already wailing and that's why he's already in the ground. They didn't leave him on the table for Jesus because they hit the third day. It's like, this one's too big for Jesus. Three is a big thing. Three days blind. Because Jesus, who you've been murdering all of his children, knocks you down and stops you dead in your tracks. Three days of thinking, I got it all wrong. Three days of, holy cow, this guy must be the Messiah. He lived and walked the ground and he did these miracles and everything he did was fantastic and amazing. Three days of, oh my goodness. And you know what Jesus is like? He sends one of his kids to lay hands on him and to make the scales drop away and say, you know what? This same Jesus that persecutes you, he doesn't judge you. He just loves you. He sets you free. And you know what? If if you'll serve him all of your days, he will use you for his purpose and change the world. Just like we heard about Barabbas. What a ripoff. Barabbas gets set free and Jesus gets persecuted. You know what? Jesus has been doing it from the very beginning and he's not going to stop with the first guy and he's definitely not going to stop until every single one of us are in the family. This is the same Jesus. So here's Peter and religion is not an issue to him anymore. He realizes that he's a son and he plants the church as a son. And he says, we're all brothers and sisters together in this. And he doesn't plant religion and he doesn't plant rules and, and, and his only gospel. I mean, you think of this. This is, he says, all I preach is Christ and Christ crucified and to look after the widow and the orphan. That's all the New Testament church was. Years later, when Paul's writing letters to the church, you know what he was correcting? He was correcting religious Christians coming from Jerusalem with the law, trying to sprinkle the law back into the church. He says, if anyone comes to you with a gospel other than what I presented, have nothing to do with them. You know what the gospel was? It's about your knowledge of God as being important. Think of that. Why is knowledge of God being so important, the thing that sons and daughters need to worry about? Well, it's really simple. See, as sons and daughters, 
we all hear from our Father. And we're all equal and we're all the same. And we all have different roles to do. And we all have different anointings. And we all have different gifts. Not everyone can worship lead. Not everyone is a pastor in their church. But you might have a, a, a gift to be pastoral, but you may not be the gift of being the pastor to the church. Because the pastor is the gift. who hear from Jesus. When we have brothers and sisters who hear from Jesus, what you have is guys like Philip go, in his quiet time in the morning, I think I'm going to go and preach to the Samaritans. And then he goes off all by himself and starts preaching and revival happens. And then everyone in Jerusalem is shocked because the Gentiles are hearing the word. What? We better send Peter, James and John down there. You better, because Philip needs some help. In the New Testament church, the gifted person heard from their father and went and served and saw amazing things happen. They didn't wait for the pastor to hear about what one thing they needed to do so that they could go and they could do what God's called them to do because the pastor said, don't give you permission. So knowledge puffs up. Well, he knows more than me. So if the church asks us to share our faith with, with our friends, well, I can't do that because I don't know enough. I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't studied. I haven't learned. He would be far better. She would be far better than me because they know more. And suddenly everything in church about what we don't do is about an inadequacy about what we don't know. Instead of it being the other way around. When I was in Darwin, we used to sponsor pastors uh, in Indonesia and in Sri Lanka. And one of these pastors in in Indonesia, he was a Muslim and somebody came up to him and, and shared the gospel with him and literally said, do you want to feel free from sin and condemnation? And he said, yes, I do. He said, well, I'll pray for, if, if you believe in Jesus, he will set you free. He goes, I'll believe in Jesus if he sets me free. So he free. Of course, in the street laid hands on him. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and instantly felt free of condemnation and sin. This is fantastic. That was the only thing he knew. If I lay hands on people and they accept Jesus, they will be saved and they will be set free. He planted three churches of about 30 to 50 people each. He had two and he kept going to plant to go out and start another one, but he could only ride so far on his push bike every day. And so we bought him a scooter so that he could look after those two churches that he planted and within a week he planted a third one. All he knew was if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, God will make you new. So don't tell me, Christians who've been sitting in church, that we don't know enough. What happens is, is we've forgotten who we are and we've forgotten who Jesus has called us to be. So when the Word says, when we walk up to a mirror and we, and, 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 and we see Jesus reflected back, this is the Word. When I look at the Bible... The Bible is a mirror and it tells me who I am, the New Testament. It says I'm a son. It says I'm forgiven. It says I'm not a sinner. I have his righteousness. It says I have everything that I need to live a holy life. In fact, I've been reading 1 John because there's a verse in there that says if anyone says that they're without sin, they're deceiving themselves and whatever. And the culture of the day was, well, if we're Christians, then whatever we do, it's not sin. It's like, no, you can still do things that are sin. If you say it's not sin, you're deceiving yourself. Don't use your freedom in Christ as an excuse to sin. Oh, okay then. 
And then he goes on in the next two chapters to tell you how to live a sin-free life. Do we ever hear it preached in church of how to live a sin-free life? Why? Because we're sinners. What if I'm not a sinner? Then I could live a sin-free life. This sounds like good news. This sounds like really, really good news. This could be news that if somebody heard it, it would actually make them happy. That they could go to church and experience freedom and love and forgiveness and purpose. It sounds to me like life would be better because I know Jesus. That it would be alive. That I could feel alive. That's what it's like to be a son and a daughter of God. So when we look at the word and it tells you who you are, you're not a sinner. You're not hopeless. You're not useless. You're not this. You're not that. You're not that. You're not that. You're not that. What you are is you are this and you are this, and you are this, and you are this, and you are loved, and you, and you will see miracles happen, and you will lay hands on the sick, and demons will flee, and all of this. And then as soon as we walk away, and the opportunity happens, wow, I could pray for somebody. Oh, but I don't know enough. Now you've forgotten who you are. The Bible says, don't look at the mirror of who Jesus has made you to be. Because you died, you died when you were... When in baptism is that whole symbol of dying. So when, when, when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, the old is gone, dead, the new has come, so we are just like him. So when we look at the mirror, that's not an example to live up to. He's reminding of us, us of who we actually are. So don't do that anymore because that's not you. If it's not Jesus, it's not you. And if it is Jesus, it is you. Because he's made you just like him. So I was thinking, how does this work as a picture that we could understand? And I was thinking of the royal family. You know, you've got Prince William and Prince Harry, right? <clears throat> They're born into the royal family. Had nothing to do with them. It's a free gift. Same as you. Born into the family of God. A royal priesthood, we are all called. We are all the royal priesthood, not just the guy at the front, not the pastor. It's not the pastor that's the priest. It's we. We are ambassadors between men and God. So that makes you a priest. So here you, you are born into a royal family. That's what the Bible says. What does it look like in the natural? Sometimes we can look at the natural and then see what it looks like in the spiritual. Really, really easy. When the kids run around and pick their nose, don't do that. So we learn behaviors. Don't do this and don't do that. Your behaviors doesn't define you as a royal family. It's just trying to teach you not to be grotty. There are things that we can do as Christians that are a bit grotty, like putting swords to people and saying, accept Jesus or die. It's a little bit grotty. It's not Jesus to do that. It's not Jesus to do a lot of things and do it in his name and make him look bad. And I'm tired of being the Christian to try and, and fix what other Christians have done to non-Christians. We've all got to shine the light of that un, unfettered love. It's not held back in any way at all. So here we have the royal family, and it's like, all right, boys, this is how we sit and this is how we eat at the dinner table because we're representing you know, the leadership of our country. So we lift our little finger like this when we eat and we blah, 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 and we have manners and we know how the table works and we eat our food well and we do this. And then they, they, 
the, the, you know, the boys, they join the military. Why? Do they need money? Honestly, does the royal family need money? Do they go to work to earn money? No. So whatever job they do, it's not the money, it's what it gives them. So what do military boys learn? They learn discipline. They learn leadership. They know how to look after men, how to look after themselves, how to have self-discipline. Starts with you first, then you share that. And so then the royal family, when they get to the point that they've learned enough, they're at the level high enough, whether it's a major or a captain or whatever else, then what do they do? Well, they give that up because they've got the skills that they need. They're still the royal family. They didn't get given a captaincy because they were royal. They had to earn it. They had to get the skills. They had to, they had to groom what was within and make it sharp and powerful. That sounds like the church to me. My, my what I do and how I learn and how I grow has got nothing to do with my position in Christ, but it makes me sharp. It means then that my father knows how to use me and he'll use me for the task that he's made me. And all of our tasks are different. Some of us are wooden cups and God uses us every single day. That's a great cup. I'd love to be a wooden cup. Some cups are gold and precious. They're nice. They sit on a shelf. They look really, really pretty and they're very, very expensive, but they don't get used very often. Personally, I'd rather be a wooden cup than a gold cup. Maybe a gold cup that gets used every day. That'd be nice. I could have the best of both worlds. But as royalty, then once you've got your skills, then your whole reason and existence is about your influence. I'm the royal family. What charities will I support? What charity gets the royal seal so that other businessmen can see that the royal stamp of approval is upon this work and we too will support it with our money? And then they use their influence and their skill for their kingdom. That's who you are, Church of God. You are the royal family. And while we may work for money in all of these different areas and you don't get your identity from your job, you get your identity from your Father in heaven. And whether it's giving $5 to the guy that's always busking out the front of Woolworths, taking some mum from a local school out for lunch after she's dropped the kids off because she's got nothing. doesn't matter what it looks like. I, I mowed um, one, one family in our church. Um, they run our, our over 55s thing and they've both had surgery recently. So I turned up there for a pastoral visit and I walked in the front door and said, where's your mower? And they went, oh, no, no, you can't do that. I said, no, nah, I'm mowing your lawn. And I grabbed the mower. I only went there to mow the lawn. I didn't go there to chat or to have coffee. I caught up with them the week before. They were fine. I turned up to mow their lawn because guess what? They needed their lawn mowed. What good's a pastor when you need a lawnmower? So that day, I had the spirit of lawnmower all over me. I've got so many jack-of-all-trades. I can turn up and be useful anywhere in Jesus' name. And so can you. Because you know what? Our, 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 our ability to navigate right and wrong has got nothing to do with our relationship with Jesus. It's the ability to use our influence for his kingdom. And if you looked at Paul, it's not about what you know. It's about being a son and a daughter about the only thing that I care about is Christ and Christ crucified because he has made me just like him. He is an example of who I am, not who I have to try to be like. Sin is on the outside trying to tempt me. Think of a little, a little house with a really nice picket fence all the way around it and you walk in and you see like something dead in your lawn. Someone's thrown it over from the alleyway. 
Do you leave it there and go, get that thing and you throw it back over your neighbor's fence where it came from? And that's what happens when the devil starts telling you who he thinks you are. Oh, and you did this and you did that. It's like, stop throwing stuff over my fence, fool. And you pick up what's not Jesus about you. Because you don't have a sin nature. And you throw that thing back over the fence. Because he'll constantly be saying, your garbage, your lawn's filthy. It's like, well, stop chucking stuff on my lawn. And when we realize that sin and all of those things is not from the inside, it's from the outside. And when we get those thoughts or those ideas and we go, hang on, that's not Jesus. So if it's not Jesus, it's not me. Because he is an example of who I am, not who I have to try to be. And it makes the struggles easier. When I first started thinking about this, and and we've probably all seen those what would Jesus do bands, but it's all about doing again. I don't have to do things to get into heaven. But if it's not Jesus, it's not me. Now it's about my position. Even if I do something wrong today, I'm still royal. I'm just stupid royal. And now I have to fix something that I did yesterday. I've got to say sorry. And I mean, who likes saying sorry? I'd rather get it right and never have to say sorry. I sat down with my young adults, and some of them are struggling with those challenges in life about who to drink and how to date and who to date and who not to date too hard and all of those kind of things. And I said, you know what? My life is really, really simple. You guys make everything too complicated. If it's in the Bible and it says do it, I do it. And if it's in the Bible and it says don't do it, then I don't do it. It's not about the law. It's about keeping me safe. Don't stick your fingers in the bear trap. Okay. Oh, he's so unfair. No. It's good for you. Jesus only wants to keep us from harming ourselves. I tell our guys, sex is awesome. Inside marriage, that's where it's safe. Oh, it's awesome. Inside marriage, where it's safe. This and this and this. It's not about rights and wrongs and laws and this and that. It's about keeping you safe, about causing you to grow and flourish, using things for the purpose that God's given it to you. I said, my life is real simple. I get tired just looking at you guys half the time with all the things that you're struggling with about what you're going to figure it out. I said, just read your Bible. Jesus says, you know, the yeast of the Pharisees have nothing to do with it. I'll ask you a question. Do you know what that is? Go read your Bible. (laughs) Go read your Bible. If you do these things, your children will be blessed for a thousand generations. Do you know what those things are? Go read your Bible. You know who you are in Christ? You are the light. I want to be in the light as he is in the light. So amazing. My last little illustration for today. I've, uh, I've, I've had a, an interesting few years, but an interesting month in particular. And uh, I didn't know what to pray. Just didn't know what to pray. So I've just been praying in tongues. Jude 2, pray in tongues, build yourself up. Simple, do nothing, pray in tongues. I'll do that. Been praying in tongues, worshipping every night. Got my headphones on. It's really easy to worship with your hands up when you're lying in bed. Because all you're doing is putting your arms straight out. There's no muscle. It just... Just lying flat on my back with my arms up in the air. My wife doesn't wake up. She doesn't get annoyed. And I'm just worshipping, worshipping, worshipping. And it started to get into the pointy end of some of the things that I was having to deal with. And uh, I'm worshipping and it's not working. It's like, hang on, this is supposed to work. If I worship, it's supposed to be easy. That's what we do. So it's not working. 
So what do I do? Well, I'm going to worship harder. I'm going to press in. That's the religious word for it. I'm going to press in. And I'm worshipping even harder, doing the same thing and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And I'm trying to get more worship by worshipping harder. If I worship, if I maybe have an angry face, I'm, I'm, then that will help me worship God even better. I don't know. And then I just thought, I need something different here, Lord. This isn't working. And then I just, you know, as you do when you're kind of thinking and praying and listening to God as well. And I've just, you know, how did Jesus pray? It's like, yeah, thanks, Holy Spirit. That was awesome. Our Father who art in heaven, you are awesome. And then instantly left. You know where the word says, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you? He didn't just leave. Like to say he fled was an understatement. It's like, it's like Enoch, like he was walking with God and then he was not. It was like there was the, the devil and then there was not. And then what was replaced by that vacuum was just the glory of heaven. And then I'm just like, the name of God, you are awesome. You are the lily of the valley. You are the lion. Oh, man, I'm starting to tingle all over. Like, devil, you got nothing on my father. He is the source. I don't, have to, I don't have to pray in. I don't have to be smart. I don't need a word of knowledge. What I need is his presence. What I need is my father because I know who I am and I know who he is. And when this is tight, everything else will just flow. And so let me encourage you. It's not about working harder. If you're in those tough times and you don't know what to do, then it's about the names of God. It's about his presence. Enter his presence with thanksgiving. When our father sees all of his kids pouring into his throne room, he wants flags and dancing and fruit and mangoes and joy and party and festival. He doesn't want kids walking in and going, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. It's like, get that whinger out of here. I'm going to talk to them later. Tell them to put on their happy face. How many of you told your kids to put on their happy face before? Don't you come into my presence without your happy face. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And your songs were saying that today. So as I said, when church reflects Jesus, we are right where we are supposed to be. And so hopefully today I've challenged some thinking, set a few things free. And uh, it comes down to then saying, if it's not Jesus, it's not me. That guy cuts you off and you're like, that's... Not what Jesus would say, bless him, Lord. When you do something and you're like, oh, it's actually, that's not what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, do this, go fix it. You know, my wife said this, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, then you go and make her tea and say sorry. I was like, what's that got to do with what she did? It's like Jesus will tell you what to do, not how to respond. Just love on that person. They're not being me today. You can see you in you. Now see him in them and respond to Jesus in them. Cause them to flourish draw it out of them. That's not Jesus. You being angry today, that's not Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray. Thank you that your spirit is powerful. That it says in our word that Holy Spirit, you are our counselor and we don't need anyone else to teach us about you, that you're the teacher. And Lord, I just pray that with those simple things in place, that we're not a sinner anymore, that we are just like Jesus that the old is gone and the new has come, that we, that we are an example of him, who he has made us to be. Help us to just simply walk that out. If it's not Jesus, it's not me. Amen.